Chemical Watch podcast. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. Hello and welcome to this week's news podcast, hosted by members of the Chemical Watch team. I'm Kate Lowe, Global Managing Editor at Chemical Watch, and for today's episode, I am joined by our North America Managing Editor, Terry Highland, Consulting Editor, Geraint Roberts, and Asia Desk Editor, David McFarlane. The subjects we'll be discussing today include the European General Court's rejection of two separate legal appeals by chemical companies and trade bodies against the inclusion of three siloxanes, D4, D5 and D6, on the REACH candidate list. We will also hear about work by China's Electronic Standardization Institute to draft a standard that will outline the acceptable test methods to detect phthalates in electronic and electrical products. But first, let's start with the latest developments from the US regarding the US EPA's plans for Tosca chemical risk evaluations. The agency confirmed back in February that it was reviewing all of the first 10 finalised Tosca risk evaluations following an order from President Biden shortly after he took office in January for the EPA and other federal agencies to review actions taken over the last four years. Announcing the decision, the agency said the EPA would follow the science and law and review the agency's actions issued under the previous administration and take any needed steps to ensure that they protect human health and the environment. So Terry, can you tell us, uh, you know, five months on and the EPA has made a number of announcements regarding uh, its plans. Uh, what those uh, plans were? Yeah, thanks, Kate. So we've heard bits and pieces of the EPA's plans for the, the Tosca risk evaluations for these high-priority substances for some time now. But during a recent Environmental Law Institute conference on Tosca, uh, Michael Friedhoff, the head of EPA's chemicals office, really pulled a lot of those pieces together and and, uh, mapped out the agency's plans for these uh, supplementing these risk evaluations. And together, this this sort of new direction from the EPA really confirms that companies that make or import or even sell or distribute products containing any of these substances could ultimately see more stringent risk findings from the EPA. At the same time, it also likely pushes back the timeline for the risk management rules that will then follow once these first 10 risk evaluations are fully completed. Um, Now, there were four main things that Dr. Friedhoff outlined uh, over the last uh, couple of weeks. First, Dr. Friedhoff confirmed that the agency believes the previous administration incorrectly evaluated chemical risks, looking at risks on a use-by-use basis, rather than determining whether or not each substance as a whole presents an unreasonable risk. So more of a thumbs up, thumbs down sort of uh, review. So the EPA, uh, they will still look at exposure scenarios or use by use uh, exposures for different conditions of use for each chemical, 
but it will now make a single risk determination for each substance. Like I said, overall, does it pose an unreasonable risk or not? So that will affect all of the first 10 substances that have seen finalized risk evaluations. The EPA will now withdraw any orders that it has issued saying that there were certain conditions of use that did not pose an unreasonable risk. And then it will reissue the risk evaluations for each chemical as a whole. And uh, that's the process it will use to assess existing chemicals going forward as well. Now, the second part of Dr. Friedhoff's announcement, she said the EPA will no longer ignore exposure risks from things like air or water emissions that might be covered by other federal laws, like the Clean Air Act or uh, Clean Drinking Water Act. Um, and that the agency previously had ignored, uh, or not ignored, but did not evaluate um, those things in their risk evaluations of the first 10 substances. <clears throat> the EPA now says that earlier approach could potentially underestimate uh, risks from those substances. So with this change, the EPA said it will specifically affect at least one of the first 10 risk evaluations for the solvent 1,4-dioxane. So for 1,4-dioxane, the EPA says it will now look at exposures from drinking water sources, uh, maybe as well from ambient air exposures, and also occupational exposures where products can contain the substance as a byproduct. Now, third, and then related to that second part of the announcement, the EPA says it will also take a closer look at six other solvents with completed risk evaluations and make a determination whether air, water, or other exposures uh, lead to unreasonable risks for fence line communities. So those are communities that live near emitting facilities. And as part of this process, the EPA has started to develop a screening level approach to assess risks to these fence line communities. And we could see a proposed screening level approach by this fall and a finalized version of that approach um, that will be used to evaluate these risks um, for these, these six solvents. That's methylene chloride, uh, trichloroethane, carbon tetrachloride, perchloroethylene, 1BP, and NMP. And um, this approach then will also be used for other substances going forward. And finally, the, the fourth part of, of the announcement, the EPA said it will no longer assume that workers are always provided and always use personal protective equipment or PPE. So this will then impact uh, 20 applications from six of the first 10 substances. EPA will go back and reevaluate um, potential risks uh, in, in the workplace for methylene chloride, 1BP, uh, the flame retardant HBCD, NMP, PERC, and 1,4-dioxane. So it's a lot of different sort of numbers at play. Um, each of the first 10 risk evaluations will see some level of supplementation. And others, like 1,4-dioxane and the six other solvents, will likely get even more scrutiny. So what does this mean for the legal cases challenging four of the risk evaluations? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So four of the first 10 risk evaluations are currently being challenged in court. That's methylene chloride, HBCD, 1,4-dioxane, and the part one risk evaluation for uh, chrysotile asbestos. But those court challenges are all focused on the EPA's findings of no unreasonable risk for certain uses of those substances. So if 
EPA does as they say they will and withdraws those no unreasonable risk findings and instead issues a single assessment of unreasonable risk for each chemical, then that potentially removes the legal basis for those cases. The court will no longer have jurisdiction really to, to hear those cases. And that could be a blow to the environmental and public health groups and many states that are also involved in these cases because they want to see a court issue a ruling that would require the EPA to take many of these steps going forward. So they want a court decision that says, look, these new things that the EPA is doing and, and more, they're required under TSCA. And such a decision then would, would bind not just this administration to take certain action under TSCA, but it would apply to the EPA under any future presidential administrations. And in fact, there already is some concern among public health and environmental advocates that the EPA's plans for these supplemental risk evaluations and then the risk management rules to follow, that that could drag on too long, potentially pushing the final steps into a new administration in three and a half years if uh, in the event that the next presidential election swings back to Republicans. Okay, thanks, Terry. So what happens next? And when can we expect to see the revised risk evaluations? And when might risk management rules be proposed? Well, the EPA says it's pretty confident that three of the first 10 mostly completed risk evaluations that's at this point, that three of those are likely sufficient. And that's for the flame retardant HBCD, for the colorant PV29, and for that part one of the asbestos risk evaluation, which I had mentioned before, looks at the uses of just chrysotile asbestos. So for those three, we could see revised risk evaluations relatively soon and with, with new risk determinations using that whole chemical method, uh, it, uh, does it or does it not present an unreasonable risk, and then no longer assuming personal protective equipment use in the workplace. And in fact, in a court filing last Friday, the EPA said that it will put out a proposed supplemental risk evaluation for HBCD within the next six to seven weeks. Um, and then it plans to finalize that sort of supplemental evaluation by October or November this year. So then that probably means that the supplemental risk evaluations for PV29 and part one of asbestos may not be too far behind. And once those risk evaluations are completed, the EPA can then get into the process of proposing rules to mitigate those risks. So that means that the first risk management rules that we're likely to see will cover HBCD, PV29, and chrysotile asbestos. A little interesting because asbestos and PV29 were two substances that were among the last that the previous administration finalized the risk evaluations. But now they could be among the first where we actually start seeing risk management rules, at least proposed rules. Now, for the other seven substances of the, the first 10, the timeline's less clear. The EPA has already said it will reopen and supplement the risk evaluation for 1,4-dioxane. And it indicated that the evaluation for 1,4-dioxane could well be the last one that it completes. So that one could end up being the last in the list. And the EPA is also going to take a closer look at the, uh, the six other solvents and whether they might present risks to those fence line communities. Uh, and they will also take a closer look at PPE use and, and previous assumptions for those risk assessments. 
Now, the EPA says it should know by next spring whether any of those six risk evaluations need to be supplemented further. In the meantime, the agency said its risk managers or the team working on those risk management rules to come, that they will be doing work even as the risk evaluations are being re-examined and or supplemented. And the idea is that the EPA then will be able to issue those proposed risk management rules relatively quickly after it is finally satisfied with the underlying risk evaluations. Still, though, for many of these first 10 risk evaluations, we're not likely to see even a proposed risk management rule until well into next year or even beyond for some of the substances. But uh, for the EPA, there, there's hope that there could be a payoff here at the end. So after the EPA has supplemented all the first 10 risk evaluations, the goal is that there will be more certainty around the risk evaluation process going forward. And that would include the next batch of 20 high priority substances that the EPA has already started evaluating. Okay, thanks again, Terry. So now let's turn to the European General Court's resounding rejection of two separate legal appeals by chemical companies and trade bodies against the inclusion of three siloxanes, D4, D5 and D6, on the REACH candidate list. ECHA began consulting on adding the three siloxanes to REACH Annex 14, the authorisation list, back in March 2020. It was the agency's 10th draft recommendation for substances of very high concern to be included in the list. Now, ECHA's selection of candidate list substances is primarily based on information in registration dossiers on the, on the substance's use, hazard, properties and volumes. So, Geraint, uh, firstly, can you tell us about these three uh, cycloxanes? You know, what, are the, what are they used for and why were they included on the REACH candidate list? Yeah, sure, Kate. So, so this um, story is actually quite similar to the, in some ways to the one that Terry was talking about just now in that it is a, all about a group of uh, particular substances and their assessment by an agency and uh, reaction to that assessment from, from industry. Um, so D4, D5 and D6 are, are all uh, siloxanes that are used as raw materials in the production of silicon rubbers, gels, and, and resins. And these materials in turn have a wide range of uses, uh, including in cosmetics, cleaning products, polishes and waxes, pharmaceuticals, and medical devices. Um, D5 and D6 are also used as ingredients in sunscreens and skin creams. Uh, and D6 is, is also used as dry cleaning solvent. So why have they become the focus of attention? Well. Um, the substances persist in the environment and they're bioaccumulative uh, in a nutshell. So their candidate list inclusion um, as substances are very high concern. And the restriction um, on two of them are due to their persistent bioaccumulative and toxic, uh, which is known as PBT, um, or their very persistent and very bioaccumulative, which is known as VPVB, properties. And that's in reach speak, if you wish. Um, as such, the, um, the key concern is that they are um, considered to be dangerous to aquatic life, including plants, invertebrates and fish. 
Um, in Annex 6 of the um, EU um, CLP regulation on classification and uh, labelling, uh, for example, D4 is listed uh, with the hazard code H413, which um, comes with the phrase, may cause long-lasting harmful effects to aquatic life. Um, D4 is also classified as a category 2 uh, reprotoxicant and is suspected of damaging human fertility, but that's not the reason actually why um, it was made a substance of very high concern. Uh, so consequently, these three were added to the candidate list uh, back in 2018, um, and in the same year then, uh, a restriction was adopted banning D4 and D5 in wash-off cosmetics, and that restriction came into force two years later. Meanwhile, a second uh, reach restriction, banning all three in consumer and professional products and in dry cleaning solvents, um, is making its way through the consultation process. Uh, and has already been backed by ECHA's uh, Risk Assessment and Socioeconomic Analysis Committees. Okay, thanks, Geraint. Um, on what basis did the industry groups involved in the legal cases challenge their listing and restriction? Well, um, Siloxane producers said ECHA had uh, manifestly erred in its assessment of the toxicity and bioaccumulation properties of the substances, and that the criteria for identifying PBT and VPVB substances, as set out in Annex 13 of REACH, um, are, are actually intended only for carbon-based organic chemical substances rather than silicon-based substances such as siloxanes. Um, they said the criteria were not intended for inorganic or hybrid organic-inorganic substances, and do not appropriately predict their environmental behaviour. Um, they also said ECHA's decision to uh, designate the siloxanes as SVHCs was neither appropriate nor necessary, um, and that because of uncertainties surrounding the data, it should have asked industry for further information um, before doing anything else. Um, so there are, those are just some of the um, grounds, actually. There are many. Um, but, um, but despite the judgment, um, in fact, Silicon's Europe's uh, website still describes all three of these substances as safe for human health and the environment. Um, anyway, between them, the two legal challenges included <coughs> 10 separate pleas or fundamental points of law where the applicant said the law hadn't been followed properly. So they were you know, pretty um, detailed uh, cases. Thanks, Geraint. Uh, why, why did the European General Court reject the two legal appeals and what are the likely consequences? Okay, so, um, well, basically the first thing to say actually is the court rejected um, all of the, the pleas and all of the separate parts within each of the pleas. Um, <clears throat> so it was quite a resounding uh, rejection that industry suffered here. Um, and it said that the European Commission, ECHA, and the agencies at committees didn't commit clear errors when assessing the substances. Um, and while these, these bodies were obliged to consider all the available evidence, they were permitted to exercise discretion in interpreting the evidence, provided they followed the rules properly, uh, which the court said they did. Um, and the principles like weight of evidence, which are used in risk assessment, were indeed properly followed. Um, so in a nutshell, that's why they rejected them. Um, 
but if you're if you're interested in the details of PBT assessment, um, I, I recommend you read the, uh, the judgments. So the so the consequences. Well, had industry succeeded in overturning the restriction of D4 and D5 in wash-off cosmetics, it would have raised the possibility uh, that the proposed restriction on all three siloxanes in various uses would face strong opposition and possibly founder altogether. And if, if they'd won their battle to annul the designation of all three substances as SVHCs, that would have stopped uh, their progress towards the authorization list uh, dead in its tracks. Uh, instead, it's now much more likely that the proposed restriction will be adopted and that the three chemicals will become subject to the authorization process and thus be phased out except for any authorized uses that they get um, approved. Uh, so you know, the consequences are quite significant. Um, you know, just a couple of months ago, ECHA recommended that the three were added to, should be added to the authorization list on the grounds that uses such as the industrial production of electronics um, are not covered by the, uh, the existing or the proposed restriction. Um, and so if this happens, examples of uses that would be covered uh, by authorization uh, would include things like the production of electronic uh, articles, equipment, uh, non-metal surface treatment, the formulation of personal care products, and the manufacture of washing and cleaning products. And as things stand, if the, if the three are added to the authorization list, um, applications for use, if you wanted to carry on using them for any of these uh, applications, would have to be submitted within 24 months. And, um, and the, uh, the sunset date, the, the phase out date uh, for unauthorized uses would be 42 months after the date of submission. So you'd still have a few years to think about whether you wanted to apply for authorization or not. Meanwhile, um, there could also be implications in the US where the EPA is conducting a Tosca risk evaluation of D4. Interestingly, interestingly this is following a request by, um, <clears throat> by industry, by the American Chemistry Council's Silicon's Environmental Health and Safety Center, um, plus by the, the same siloxane producers that brought the uh, legal cases in the EU. Um, and the reason why these industry bodies have, have made that request to the US EPA is, is that they're confident, or they were at the time, that D4 would get a clean bill of health. Um, but the US EPA has three years with an optional six-month extension to complete this risk evaluation. Um, and you know, a lot can happen in that time, so um, we'll wait and see what happens. Thanks again, Geraint. Finally... Let's turn to China, where the country's Electronic Standardization Institute has almost finished drafting a standard that will outline the acceptable test methods to detect phthalates in electronic and electrical products. David, um, firstly, can you tell us about the standard, its aims and how it is being developed? Sure, Kate. A SESI workgroup began developing the standard for the determination of four phthalate esters in EEPs by high-performance liquid chromatography in May, May 2019. 
and last month it invited industry stakeholders to join the group as required by the relevant laws, which, according to an attorney at a US-based law firm we spoke to, specify that the technical committee shall be composed of users, producers, industry associations, scientific and technological research institutions, and, and academic groups. Working group members responsible for drafting the final standard are expected to attend work meetings throughout the process, complete method studies and inter-laboratory comparison research tasks on time, share results obtained with the standard drafting work group, and express independent opinions and put forward constructive suggestions for revisions. The group has not indicated when it will publish the final standard or when it will be when it will be implemented, but a regulatory and compliance analyst we spoke to said it could be in the second half of this year. Thanks, David. You wrote that the development of the standard signals that China may place restrictions on phthalates in electronic and electrical products in future. Can you tell us more about that? Yes, Kate. As CESI has almost finished drafting a standard that will outline the acceptable test methods to detect phthalates in EEPs, it could signal that the country may place restrictions on the substances in future. China's existing ROS-like regulation restricts the same heavy metals and polybrominated biphenyls as the EU's ROS directive. However, it does not include the four phthalates that were added to the EU's amended version of ROS in July 2019, which are DEHBP, BBP, DBP, and DIBP. But this seems likely to change. The US-based US attorney told us China has already impl implemented a voluntary standard to restrict the use of the phthalates in EEPs. And the president of an electric service provider said he would not be surprised to see China add the four phthalates to their Ross-like regulation at some point. Also, trade association European plasticizers would support such a move because restricting these phthalates under China Ross 2 would help create a level playing field for the European phthalate manufacturers, it said. Thanks again, David. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you again to Terry, Geraint and David for sharing that insight into today's stories with us. And thank you to you, our audience, for listening to today's episode. For more on the topics discussed today, please head over to the Chemical Watch website at chemicalwatch.com. Until next week, goodbye. Unlock the full value of your compliance and product stewardship with world-leading insight and intelligence from Chemical Watch. To find out more or request a demo, visit chemicalwatch.com. Chemical Watch. Intelligence to transform product safety. The Chemical Watch Podcast.